If you're joining us for the first time, Guardians MH is a 501c3 nonprofit focused on promoting mental health awareness throughout the gaming community and being a first step in assisting individuals with uh, gathering meaningful resources in a safe and inclusive atmosphere. Our podcast is another way to normalize talking about mental health. It is a fusion between mental health topics and gaming. And welcome to another Mental Health Avengers episode. I am Anthony Sitko, co-host of Capes on the Couch, and it is wonderful to be back here with all of these amazing, fantastic mental health professionals. Thank you all so much for uh, taking the time this evening. It has been quite some time since we've all been in the same virtual room together. Um, it's uh, it's just it's wonderful to see all your faces. Um, wish there were more of us, but you know, scheduling and illness and things of that nature, but. At least we we're able to get uh, six of us together in, in a room. So I guess that counts for something. Uh, I'm joined uh, first off by uh, by my co-host, Doc Issues from uh, Capes on the Couch. Hello, everybody. Uh, I will try and bring the energy, but I just saw half of my hospital. So, you know, I have to ration it out a bit. <laughs> That's fair. You are a very, very busy man, and we do appreciate, uh, you know, you being able to at least spend this time with us. Uh, then we've got uh, our our resident Canadian, uh, Dr. Goku from uh, Guardians MH. Doc, wonderful as always to chat with you. Oh, thanks for having me again. It, it's been a very uh, long time since we've kind of joined up for one of these. So I'm, yeah, I'm I glad think the- we've, we've tried to schedule one for the past, what, year and a half? Yeah, I think I think we've tried in earnest, at least for the past couple of months uh, that I was reaching out and it was oh yeah let's we had the we had the idea for a while we've had the the topic for a while but in terms of actually getting everybody on the same schedule it's it's been a been a challenge i mean if we uh, just gesture broadly that should about cover the explanation for that yeah, exactly exactly <laughs> that's uh just gestures at world this is fine this is fine everything's on fire it's fine it's fine and uh we are joined by the trio from chicago the uh, folks from popcorn psychology uh thank you all for uh, taking the time to uh, to be with us here this evening. Thank you, guys. Brittany, Hannah. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Brittany. If you can distinguish Hannah and our voices apart, I'm Hannah, <laughs> and I'm Ben from Popcorn Psychology. Glad to be here. Glad to be back with you all. It's mm-hmm. definitely an important part of the the mission of all of our shows to be joining up and helping spread this. Uh, message to you know defeat all the stigma and let's get mental health out there in the world so we're happy to be here with you guys all doing the same thing as us yeah last episode we released was uh november of 2020 so obviously the world has changed quite a bit in that time span and yet 
not changed and that and yet the a lot of the changes are not for the better i would say it's it's mm. definitely a mixed bag uh in terms of emotions and feelings uh on how we're all going to handle everything moving forward and you know whether there will be a world to discuss uh even in the next 20 years or whether we're all just going to be you know underwater or on fire mm. um yeah it's it's rough so my my current bet is that we become like Sarah Connor from Terminator Two out on the playground. That's my current bet. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> that's a that's a lovely that's visual. Not gruesome at all? Oh man! Yeah, want to just go right, right, right for the jugular right off the bat? Yeah, yep. yeah. Just bony fingers on a chain link fence. Just wow, the shockwave. Yep, that's uh, it's quite a visual. Probably Powerful one of the last film. good films James Cameron made. Um, oh, <laughs> so we're not talking you about like Avatar the papyrus one. No. Oh, you mean you mean uh, Ferngully uh, meets Dances with Wolves meets Pocahontas meets the, meets the Smurfs? No, no, mm. not a fan. <laughs> You're not a so, fan so of the white tr- guy so the shows trailer. up, adopts the culture, and then brings savior to people who could have done it all by themselves with their own culture. Yeah, not a fan of complex. It? No, no, not a fan of it. Saw the trailer in the theater when I went to go see the Doctor Strange sequel. And I yelled out at the end, nobody asked for this. <laughs> I'm like Top Gun 2, which I'm all this. about. Oh, yeah, Top Gun 2. No, I, I know, exactly. Nobody asked for a Top Gun sequel yet, but I am here for it, okay? I'm seeing that Apparently in IMAX. had or has a 100% on Rotten Tomato. What has a 100%? Top Gun 2. Really, a one hundred percent on Rotten Tomato. Well, still hasn't, it still itself. hasn't come out yet. There are still like you know two weeks away, at least as of recording this. So we'll see if that number drops a little bit by the time the rest of the public gets to see it. But just for visual impacts. Anyway, we have gone wildly off kilter with this, <laughs> as is the norm. Mm. Um. So the topic that we we are going with today is something that we discussed in our group Twitter chat and when we were kind of spitballing for stuff. And I, I don't remember exactly who it was that originally suggested it, um, but we kind of quickly coalesced around the idea of talking about a lot of the uh, resources that are available on social media with respect to claims made by quote unquote mental health professionals or mental health influencers about the variety of neurodivergent topics that are you know prevalent on social media and claims by these people to sort of speak on behalf of certain communities or present their experience as comprehensive or you know representative of of those communities and the real danger that um, can arise from non-professionals or or vulnerable people uh, taking that advice to heart you know whether it's uh, videos on TikTok or comments on Instagram or things of that nature people looking to social media 
for guidance and insight into their own mental health issues um, rather than going to a professional who can speak to them directly about their specific needs and their specific diagnosis. Um, so we kind of coalesced around the idea of you know, Dr. Google or Dr. TikTok, I suppose. Uh, that seems to be a, a big source of a lot of this information slash misinformation um, trends and things of that nature. Um, so, you know, we're going to kind of open this up a little bit because this is uh, obviously a topic in which uh, I'm sure each and every single one of you have had direct experience as all uh, of you are obviously the mental health professionals. So I'm going to let you all uh, sort of run the discussion for a little bit. And then I will tell you from my perspective as the non-professional here who, who has a diagnosis, um, but also does see a lot of that information on social media, um, how I feel about some of the stuff that, you know, I see. So I guess the first thing is, uh, the first topic is, is danger of following these mental health influencers or folk or mental health advocates. I guess maybe we should draw a distinction between mental professionals with the social media presence versus these quote unquote advocates. Um, so I'll just kind of throw this open if anybody wants to, to jump on this, if you, if any of you have any thoughts. Well, I would, oh, I would say oh, first, ahead. first off, you know, like anything, if you are wanting to take someone's advice, like if you're watching someone on social media or anywhere um, and you are being influenced <laughs> by what they're saying, like, just make sure everybody out there is a little tidbit is just go to their name figure out who their what their name is and if there are letters next to their name. And when you see those letters, Google those letters and see if those letters are an actual like licensure or if they are like something you can get on an online certificate course or, you know, letters that actually don't exist in, you know, in the professional landscape. And so I think like number one, I think that would be my first piece of advice to throw out there in terms of distinguishing professionals from just people who have personal experience or personal interest in um, psychology or therapy or people who have gone to therapy um, and just being mindful of that part of it first and foremost. Right. Always considering the perspective of the speaker and the way they're presenting the information. If someone is presenting their own experience as their own experience, that is one thing. But if a person is just listing as TikTok loves to do, where they just, they talk while they list little you know, numbered These lists, hidden symptoms, right. And things like that, where they're representing themselves as a person who understands versus like just someone who has an experience and talking about what happened for them, what therapy was like for them. That's fine. But when it's, Oh, I'm a person and here are some facts and uh, I'm 19 years old and read a textbook once, you know, like that's, that's a big difference from talking to a professional that understands how to do differential diagnosing and understands the nuances between some diagnoses and what's a personality trait and what's a diagnosis, because those are very, very important differences. I, you know, I've never met somebody that broke up with somebody who wasn't a narcissist, but TikTok sure <laughs> makes it seem like everybody who's ever had an ex, whoop, that was a narcissist and it's not true and it's damaging. Because I think it started off with like the Dr. Google that came with WebMD 
And I had these discussions with clients in the past where if you just list like three symptoms, like you have a bump on the toe and something else, you have toe cancer. And it kind of goes down that rabbit hole. And then there was the um, coming with YouTube where there were the long, these longer form videos, some of them really good, some of them kind of riddled with inaccuracies. But now with TikTok, because it's so readily available, and they are these 30 to 60 or 90 second clips that are highly engaging, and that unfortunately sometimes prey on people that are extremely vulnerable in a vulnerable state or a vulnerable age range, a lot of people look at the production value of some of these videos and do believe that these people are professionals. Yeah. Oh, so the, the article that I shared, there was this discussion where just like Twitter, we have like these blue check marks. There might want to be something with TikTok of someone applying for like a blue check mark or something to show that they are credentialed. Yeah. I mean, I think this goes back to any form of media that allows for really wide adoption by people to produce content and not just consume it. Although consuming it, of course, is its own concern. But if you go back to when the internet was developed and people had websites, you didn't just put things up willy-nilly because it took a lot of effort just to get those single blue links that would turn purple when you clicked on them with no other you know bells and whistles to go along with it and so people kind of said like oh if they took the time to do this then clearly there's got to be some sort of uh, credentialing behind it or something that i can research later because all the information wasn't there it wasn't even considered to be comprehensive now the this is really scary. The production values of what we're doing right now, just talking to each other, is better than anything that was ever done 20 years ago. And all it took, at least for me, was to come home from work and turn on my computer and set things up, you know, in a matter of minutes. And although I do have the license and the training to go along with what I'm saying, uh, that's that part that allows for the access to the entire world to hear what I say is no different than a person with no resources, no education, no funds, no other motivation besides saying, I want to be heard. And so the incentives behind all of this, of going viral, of eventually getting monetized, if you have a channel of advertisements, all these things uh, are way at the forefront of algorithms compared to any of the actual information that can be found. So that's really what scares me about all of this. And professional titles for some people can be rather confusing. So I had a, a moment, I think it was yesterday, I was researching something and found a video on YouTube and the person kind of looked at the person, didn't know who they were, looked at their about page and saying, oh, they're a psychologist. So me being a psychologist, oh, that means a lot. So I have no idea who they are. So I researched who they are. Well, come to find out, they are someone in Germany where they're calling themselves a psychologist, but psychologist in Germany is not a protected title. Mm, there's a good term. Ooh. Protected so for me, title. Because for me, psychologist in Canada is a protected title. 
The only person that can call themselves a psychologist is someone that has a degree and a license. But there, someone can call themselves a psychologist, and people wouldn't necessarily see the difference if they wouldn't look further or past that. And that just made me question. As it should, because you know, some states also allow for people to be referred to as psychologists without the same protections that other states have for for our our title of professional counselor counselor is a protected term but there you know you can't call yourself a counselor without having a license without having a degree um although there are some uh goofiness with who can use the term counselor but the reality that anybody can be a therapist you therapist is not a protected term and they can or call a themselves a therapist or a coach. Oh, no, yeah. need to be started on coaches. Oh, boy. Here we go. I mean, I think that's a trend that I see on social media across the board. Like, I would say more specifically, like, YouTube and TikTok. I will say off the, off the top, I love TikTok. I spend a lot of time on a daily basis, too, too much time, perhaps, on TikTok. So I hold it close to my heart. And I think, like, a lot of things that have blown up, including, like, YouTube now and mostly before, you know, I think when people get enough cred or enough attention in a niche thing like psychology or mental health or, you know, like dieting, which is a whole nother thing. I think when people blow up on that as a trend, I noticed is someone will be like a, you know, they'll be doing like, I don't know, like executive assisting and then they'll blow up on TikTok for their like hobby, like their niche interest of like doing life coaching on the side or like doing like health stuff on the side. And then once they blow up enough on social media, their full-time job will become a coach, quote unquote, for like the thing that they're getting kind of famous for. And so I think that's something I think to be wary of on these spaces is that I think what feels specific about, in my, in my opinion, with like YouTube and TikTok is that there can be a great attachment to a person and to them as like an influencer And so I think people will disregard the steps that go into be, or not even be aware of the steps that go into being a professional quote unquote around something because this person's like done their hours kind of on social media, proving themselves to their mass audience. And that becomes like a comment war. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then people get very protective of them. Because I think one thing that I want to be pro this about is that I do respect and acknowledge how the social media has helped people have a more universal experience, especially in places where they may be a bit more isolated um, for whatever reason. And so I think it allows more diverse voices and, you know, more isolated voices to be heard. And so I think because of that, and because people will still feel very seen, um, by things they experience on TikTok and other places that they do get very protective of these people that have a great like influence on them. And so I think that's what's hard about it too, is then it becomes hard to have like open dialogue around the credibility or the um, safety kind of even of them having these stances because you can't people won't really hear that it becomes like this almost like idolatry space and so you can't really have an open dialogue about is this appropriate to do and I think something I'm now starting to notice because I'm fully on therapy TikTok in both directions is that 
I have now seen therapy, like true therapists, like protected status people yeah. stitching. Um, these videos you guys are already like alluding to, which is like, if you like put a finger down, <laughs> like ADHD edition, or if you display these certain traits d- while dating, you probably have an avoidant attachment style. Attachment styles are just going gangbusters on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And so I think we've kind of pendulum has has shifted from this is great because people are getting seen there's universality around this to now getting to this place where we're like pop over pathologizing quote like you know pretty like standard behaviors or just things that are like a product of of situations happen to you like you mentioned ben like a breakup we're all not the quote-unquote best or more regulated versions of ourselves when we're going through a breakup or things like that or when we're dating even because dating is hard and so I think what people or who are, we were in college or yes. high school and yeah. we're dysregulated by hormones. Like I'm not mm-hmm. proud of who I used to be, but that is yeah. not reflective of who I am, you know, like, and that's true yeah. for all of us. And so being wary of over pathologizing those traits and behaviors and giving people basically like making people self-conscious of things that they don't need to be self-conscious of. So it's like swung the other way of othering things when it was, you know, at the, I think at the beginning, more of like feeling seen. And then on top of a cigar is just a cigar. Yeah. Sometimes it is. And then to like your point and, you know, Dr. Goku's here is that once it becomes a comment war, the danger of that is because of the power of these algorithms is then it drives engagement and spreads it to other people's feeds, which lends legitimacy to it that might not be warranted just because it has production value and is getting attention, which We have seen with the mass media stupidity in like the United States lately in particular, I'm sure it's other places, but you know, I live here so I can speak to here is that people are confusing high production value, strong opinions, well-worded, well-spoken as truth. Well, not for nothing. That that comes long before the internet. That's been one of the major issues of, of media and communication writ large for decades, if not centuries. I mean, I I was a communications major in college and Mm -hmm. I did extensive studies on the history of, of mass media. And I mean, you can go back to someone like Marshall McLuhan who was writing in the sixties and the seventies that, you know, the medium Medium is is the message. message. Yeah. That the, the way it's written and the way it's presented is itself the message. And my, yeah. my one professor would always say the medium is the massage in the sense that <laughs> depending on what medium you use, you can tweak or shift the, the message itself. Um, so thank I, you. Shout out to Dr. Pam. Right. So I think there's also an inherent barrier for mental health professionals and I'll expand it to healthcare professionals in general. And I'm going to go from, of course, a, a medical doctor's view, because that's my training. Although we didn't have it as direct as I know the medical school classes that I see now do, we had a certain small allotment of our time indicating not just how we document in our charts, but when we do engagements, when we do speak to the public or speak to families or or whatever it is, how we were supposed to protect ourselves. Like you have to be careful. Don't make sweeping generalizations. Don't go so broad that you're going to disseminate information that can be misused. And, and so it was something that 
we weren't told, you know, by the way, get your message out to as many people as possible. And who cares what happens after that? We we were supposed to be grooming people for only what they needed to know on a need to know basis and keep it as as focused as you can with whatever topic similar to if you were teaching a class and you had to treat it with that level of respect. And now, thankfully, there are some people that are doctors or or other professionals that are influencers as well. And I can tell you, at least when I do some of the searches in background, it can be a potentially great thing and I support them. And it can be, I'll go ahead and give the name, uh, TikTok Doc. Uh, the guy, this wasn't mental health related specifically. Um, I even forgot what his, his specialty was, but he ended up you know, becoming really viral because he would dance a lot on TikTok <laughs> in between his cases. I think it was a surgical subspecialty. I may be wrong about that. Uh, but the point was he, yeah, he got popular and then he ended up with some sort of harassment case and is pretty much shunned for the rest of his career. So the fact that sometimes we look at just the short-term gains of the information that we're putting out there and not looking at the long-term consequences, I think is another thing that when you, when you start, when you start labeling yourself as a guru, you know, I, I'm going to quote, William Bernstein, who was a neurologist who turned a financial planner. And he said, the reason why people use the word guru is because charlatan is too hard to spell. So (laughs) that's pretty easy, though. I was going to say that the guy you were describing kind of sounds like the, you know, the milkshake duck uh, phenomenon. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Also, Doc, I was going to say, maybe given the current climate, grooming is not exactly the word that one would want to be using. Um, Oh, oh no, I knew what I was doing. See, once again, you're picking up on certain points. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's that's fair. And I would so say what oh, oh go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was oh, just gonna say jump. <laughs> you go ahead. You just said go ahead, and then you t- you're like the stop sign person go who goes ahead, like, no, you go. No, I'm gonna go. Oh, are you going? I'm going, I'm going. <laughs> well, I can go. I was gonna say, just jumping off of what you were saying, um, Doc Issues is like. I think also people don't know that like ethically, if you are a trained professional, like you're talking about ethically, you don't talk about quote unquote real people. Like there's a reason why on our show, and I don't know if it's the same for like you guys on Capes on the Couches, we made a decision to not talk about real people that have lived in real life. And that's why I don't know if anyone's ever noticed who listens to popcorn psychology. We don't do like movies based on real people. I think the closest we got was fear and loathing in Las Vegas, because that is a fictional character technically, but obviously very based on a real person who did die by suicide. And we made a point of saying in like that episode, like we are not talking about Hunter S Thompson that as a person, we're talking about this character that he wrote. And so it's because ethically it is inappropriate for us to diagnose and discuss real life people who we are not actively seeing as therapists. And if we were seeing them as therapists, that would also be inappropriate because that's confidentiality. And so I think also when I see people on TikTok who are diagnosing Kim Kardashian or, you know, or like people on reality TV shows, like that is inappropriate. And that could get you into trouble ethically or just like not great for your reputation. Like I saw 
I don't know how I got on this quote, like onto this chain, but like I watched this quote unquote therapist. I don't know her credentials, so I can't speak to that. Who was talking about how this other YouTuber is a sociopath. And I was like, this is wildly inappropriate. And you are. And I remember thinking when I watched this, wanting to scream at this girl, you are risk. And this is a huge platform that she was that she was guesting on. I was like, you are potentially ruining your reputation right now for what a bunch of clicks and the and the respect of Shane Dawson like it's like that part of it is it's like you were talking about the fame and the like the seduction of that gets in the way of ethics and like and I would even talk about that Dr. Oz like that's more of the medical base but he like he has had to sit in front of Congress and like and back up like these claims he makes on his shows about miracle cures and shit like that um, as a medical doctor. And so it is like that. And now he wants to be a senator. <laughs> I know. Clout rules everything around me. And he's endorsed by Trump. And it's just yeah. like, mm-hmm. and follow, follow me, y'all. <laughs> and so I think that's part of it, too, is being mindful of. It's just sad to see people or professionals risk everything, in my opinion, for for fame in some capacity, especially something like TikTok, where you can definitely make a living on TikTok and YouTube. But like, that's rare probability wise and so to it just that's i think is also an indicator of a turnoff guys <laughs> if you guys are also like cluing in on like tiktok people youtube people who are making splashy statements and talking about real people like they probably aren't a therapist you'd want to see well what's going on as well is to be licensed means that a regulatory body has issued you a license meaning you need to abide by that code of conduct and the the code of ethics. And if someone doesn't really like what you said or something happened in therapy, they can make a formal complaint to that regulatory body that gets then studied and then you go through a panel. There's a whole bunch of things that's going on. Coaches and life coaches or people that call themselves therapists that are not under regulatory bodies they can say whatever they want and mm-hmm. there's no recourse for the general public to say, well, this is false information. And the age of responsibility is over. Yeah. Except because, for the, those, uh, those of us that are regulated. <laughs> yep. Because mental health professionals, we have been kind of hammered into our minds that everything that you can say can then get, somewhat can be used against you in some ways. So we've been overly cautious in presenting information to the public because of the regulatory body where it's kind of given place for these advocates and influencers. Some of them are really good, but some of them have very nefarious um, intents. And it's kind of created this, culture war between these advocates versus the professionals, whereas a lot of people say, well, the professionals are kind of keeping things at arm's length from the people. So we're going to, the people that are keeping it locked behind a paywall or something. Things that psychiatrists don't want you to know. Mm-hmm. Where people say, oh, mental health is health. It should be freely available. Therapy should be free. And agree, yeah, there should be 
more access to therapy. But people also need to make a living. And I know for a lot of us, we try to provide as much free information as we can to to people. But that's not a substitute for actual therapy. No, I mean, like, it's so important to understand that we as professionals are ethically bound to not provide a diagnosis to someone we have not personally assessed. Mm -hmm. And that is a critical difference. And it's what like stresses me out when I see people like going on these, whether it's YouTube shorts or Facebook live or TikTok or anything and offering diagnoses of real people, even when there was the, I don't know, 150 professionals or whatever that all signed off that Donald Trump was had narcissistic personality disorder. And I was just like looking at it going like, yeah. you guys, yeah. like, I mean, I, you know, have my opinions about that and, you know, shared a, a, the criteria for narcissistic personality disorder with absolutely no context uh, on my Facebook page. You <laughs> went, yeah, you guys can read this and, you know, decide what you want about it, but here's the information without any context whatsoever. But the, like seeing that happen, like made me groan because like you guys, even if that's true, just ruined the legitimacy of our entire profession by diagnosing someone you have not personally assessed by a persona they present in the media and select sound bites. And that is irresponsible, like true or not. It's irresponsible to provide a diagnosis to people you haven't seen because then it cheapens the meaning of having a diagnosis or what diagnoses are even for. Because anyone can pick up a copy of the DSM. If you have a couple hundred bucks, you can get <laughs> right two hundred bucks. Oof. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. Oh, they're expensive now. The new one just came out. I was like, yeah, oh. good old TR. Yeah, uh, a guy just bought it and I was like, two hundred, really? Again? Yep. <laughs> yeah, but anyone can buy a copy of it, but and read through the diagnostic criteria, but they don't necessarily have the nuance of it because you can see the same diagnostic criteria between multiple diagnostics. Yep. But then which one do you attribute it to and how severe is it? Because one of the big things is, does it create like a significant impairment in the person's life? Ooh, I love that one. That's a big, mm -hmm. important. And I was talking to, to some clients about like OCD and uh, talking about psychobabble. And a lot of people saying, oh, I'm so OCD because I do these things doesn't necessarily mean that it's OCD it means you have a behavior. I was talking on the, on one of our podcasts the other night where I have this little quirk where if you have um, like two light switches that kind of control lights uh, on like two separate floors, I hate having the light off and then being like lopsided. I have to all go up the <laughs> stairs, turn one down and go back down. And then it makes me feel good. Is that OCD? No, by no means. It doesn't create any significant distress for me, and I can go about my day if I don't do it. But mm -hmm. looking at the criteria, people say, well, yeah, that's a form <laughs> of o OCD behavior. I would say that's maybe a compulsion, perhaps. And I'm, I'm you know, speaking obviously clearly as the non professional here i would say maybe that's maybe that's a compulsion but i wouldn't say it's obsessive and certainly to to the extent that it you know within the parameters of the ocd it is definitely not something that has a 
you know, detriment to your life. Um, I think we've spoken previously, uh, you know, at least I, I know we've had the discussion, at least on my show and perhaps amongst the Avengers about folks who say, oh, I'm so OCD, et cetera, because, you know, I like things neat. Um, and in a particular order, I have family members that are like that people in my life that say, oh, it's, you know, that's, that's part of my OCD. And I'm like, you don't have OCD. Don't, don't conflate that, you know? Um, yeah. Um, you, you just brought up something that I think is really important to this and, and goes back to the whole idea of, you know, the dangers of saying one person doing this. It, it, and I know I already use the term guru, but when you use a term and it comes from someone that has enough clout that people listen to them, then all nuance is gone. That's, that's a huge point to all of this. It doesn't matter the second part of what you just said, which was a great example. Just use the actual words of what you're doing rather than putting this other label that really is not meant to be just flung around by every person in the world. So if you really enjoy having things organized, just say that. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with having the face value of what you're saying first before pathologizing it. And, and that is something that I think happens when you shorten the medium. I love podcasts because at least people get to expound more. Uh, and I have an inherent bias, of course. But things like TikTok and Twitter just mean that you get the bare minimum of whatever the topic is, and you have to make it as forceful as possible. So what are you going to say? Are you going to say, this is a quirk that I've noticed about myself? Or are you going to say, this is my dysthymia? I can't believe I started seeing that word thrown around. I'm like, okay, r really? We're, we're, we're going there? We're, we're just going to go ahead and classify everything about your moods, you know, that are supposed to be for prolonged periods of time. And because you, you know, said, this is my dysthymia when I'm washing the dishes and, and you have a sad face on it. Okay. I, I, I really don't appreciate sometimes how, you know, things just get ground down to the idea that you can, you can do this all so haphazardly. Yeah. I think it, for me, what occurs to me as you're talking doc is I'm literally in my head going TikTok made everybody the Jeff Foxworthy of mental health. I think I think the thing that is I think everybody's making really good points and I think and at the same time in this country we don't have any mental health education so part of the problem is that people are seeking education however they can find it and as we have always known since the internet has been created in general, there's always going to be shit that is not good for everybody. I think, and I think that TikTok is just the latest thing. And at the same time, I'm still having meaningful conversations with my clients when they send me a TikTok that they want to talk about in session and, and make sure that I clarify some things for them. So I do think it's just, it's tricky. It's tricky because I think it makes it very clear that people want more information and that mm. people want to be able to understand. And unfortunately, like everything else that we have mm. that is helpful in any way, people fuck it up. 
Well, I think you make a great point, Hannah, which is that these tidbits of information should be treated like tidbits and they should be they should lead to a bigger conversation, either with their therapist or doing research and like maybe talking to their doctor, that kind of thing. Like it can it should be a starting off point for something or supplemental to something more meaningful or the professional who can clarify these things, because like I've even gotten like I recently learned about ARFID through TikTok, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. And it ended up coming up in a session I had. And to be quite honest, I will out myself on this. If I hadn't seen that TikTok about ARFID like a month before, I wouldn't have thought to bring this up with my client. I wouldn't even been aware of it. And I think I have the ability to filter that information through my trained brain. And so your right hand in that, I think I've seen certain TikToks make me more introspective about my mental health. And, but I, but I take that into context and I do more with that information than just take it at face value. And I don't think it's wrong to get inspired by something you see on TikTok um, and then go with that. Cause you're right. Like it is a means of information. And, and I think that you're right. Like, I think it's a great point of like mental health is just not, we're still in the dark ages in terms of, of overall awareness of mental health. And I think because of that, we do see people latch on to terms and not quite use them correctly, which is a big part of what we talk about on our podcast. I'm sure you guys is as well of like providing more clarification. I think the one I see most often now is, oh, she's borderline. They're borderline. They're acting borderline. Like to the point that, I mean, we have a TikTok, Popcorn Psychology, that I run. And I had to make a little PSA after like our Regina George Mean Girls episode, like TikTok because people were just, we didn't even mention, I don't think we even mentioned borderline in the TikTok itself. And people were just going back and forth about borderline personalities were in the comments and being really like vilifying it a lot. And then people were coming in, like getting like who had probably borderline or love someone with borderline personality disorder. And we're getting really upset. And I had to make a PSA of like, we have to be mindful that real people have these diagnoses And it's not just like a fun term to throw around or a way to feel smart because you know something savvy or about mental health. Like there are real people that have these diagnoses who are full human beings. And so we always have to be mindful of that because I think the irony is and where I kind of feel for this is that I think people are learning more about mental health because they're trying to decrease the stigma. And then ironically, sometimes weaponizing that information and that increases the stigma. And so like I had to make a point on our TikTok of like the mission statement of our podcast is to decrease stigma on top of improving on awareness. And so we have to be mindful of the way we're using this information and repeating it. And like the groups that we're in, it's like that thing where you should always assume that there's someone in the group you're talking like that, that is experienced the thing you're talking about. And if that, and if you think that way and that makes you pause that should be all the information you need to know. And I think that's also the other part of this is just like the, the wall you can hide behind on the internet of like, Mm -hmm. you can say things on the internet. You wouldn't say to somebody's face. Mm -hmm. And so also I think that encourages sometimes this behavior of like, I'll talk mad shit about borderline personality because I might even have a, like a PFP, like a profile picture where people can, you know, even see what I look like much less like confront me in a way that feels truly challenging. I think one thing that happens as well is people and the general public's perception or maybe lack of understanding about the mental health field and professions 
whereas there are so many different types of mental health professionals that a lot of people get confused. I've had to clarify this to many people quite a number of times in terms of what's the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist, Mm -hmm. the difference between a psychologist and a counselor. But people don't really have that understanding, but there's also this perception of, well, psychology is not a real science. So it's still, oh, it's common sense, or uh, (laughs) there's no real backing, so they feel that they can talk about it because it's not as rigid or structured as, say, like a blood test or looking at certain enzymes for a certain diagnosis. And in the article that I had shared, I would really encourage a lot of people to read um, the article. Um, it's called on TikTok, Mental Health Count- uh, Creators and uh, Are Confused for Therapists. Um, this is an article on Mashable. And there was a quote by one of the counselors there mentioning that you wouldn't ask an astrophysicist to really sit down with a flat earther. Or you wouldn't ask a physician to sit down with a naturopath. But people are asking mental health professionals to sit down with these creators and these advocates to kind of hash it out, to kind of see both of them as legitimate as one another. And again, there are quite a number of mental health advocates that I really admire, that they're doing great work, But a lot of what they're talking about is funded in research. They take the time. They ask mental health professionals, I want to talk about this. What's your opinion? They have mental health professionals there to discuss certain points. So they understand their limitations. And just because we are licensed doesn't mean we know everything. By all means, I I know how little I do know. Yeah, and something- I'm not afraid to, to say it in session. A client will tell me something. It's like, you know what? I have no idea, but I'll research it and I'll get back to you. Well, that's that's a, a wonderful point. I'm I'm certainly glad you do that, uh, Doc. One of the things that um one of the things that I wanted to say in reference to to what Brittany had been saying uh, prior is you know, talking about these things that are jumping off point, treat it like you would Wikipedia. Wikipedia is and should be the entry point to look further into those firsthand sources that you look to, okay, I'm looking to read Wikipedia to get an overall sense. And then if I want to know more, I'm going to look at the things that are hopefully cited in Wikipedia and do that research further. I'm not going to read a Wikipedia article and all of a sudden call myself an expert on quantum computing. It's, Oh, this is something that interests me. And because I am a hyper generalist in my method of, of thinking, uh, credited, uh, in large part to my ADHD, which is something I'm sure that we'll get to, you know, uh, later on in terms of when I sort of discuss my experience with social media and, and uh, neurodivergence and things of that nature. I like to know a little bit about everything. It's very difficult for me to do a deep dive into any one particular topic, but I will read articles, 
and just go on a wiki walk all over the place and have, you know, 17 tabs open because I've started this and, oh, okay, I'm going to read about that in a second. Right click, open a new tab. All right, let me finish this one first. And then I go to the next one. Oh, right click in new tab. And then by the time I'm done, it's, you know, three hours later and I've read, you know, 72 different articles about any myriad of topics, but it should be noted that again, you, I would not consider myself an expert or able to talk at length about any of the things that I just read because it's a cursory view. I am not a professional. I'm certainly not going, as I said, call myself an expert or, or qualified to, to give a Ted talk on any of the stuff that I just read. All I can talk about is what I've learned and personally studied. And at this point, I wouldn't even feel qualified to give a TED talk on legal matters, but that's a story for another time. You know, so, so to your point, Brittany, I think that's what a lot of folks are, are doing is unfortunately it's human nature. We want the path of least resistance. We, a lot of folks will read the Wikipedia article and say, yeah, okay, I know all about that because they read the Wikipedia article. They didn't read any of the first party citations. They didn't read anything else on that. They just read the cliff mm-hmm. notes in essence and go, yeah, okay, I got it. And then turn around yeah. and, and speak about it. And because of the anonymity on the internet and you know what, what Penny Arcade likes to refer to as part of my language, the greater internet fuckwad theory that, normal person plus internet plus anonymity equals fuckwad that you get folks that are able to, or that think that they can speak without recourse or any sort of repercussions because why not? What's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to get mad at me. Okay. Everybody, this is, this is a bold statement, but every single one of us has a little bit of a troll inside us that sometimes just wants to poke the bear just to see what happens. Mm-hmm. That's just human nature. I think it goes for any and all of us that mm-hmm. sometimes you just want to just throw the bomb and run away, you know? And so that there, the internet gives us all that release and that catharsis with no repercussions. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't say you a general, you wouldn't say 90% of the shit you say online to someone to their face, but yet we feel because we're sitting behind a keyboard. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, sure. I just called this person X, Y, and Z name, and there, there's nothing to it. So to to that point, I think that's also a, a large part of it is because we get in these discussions, and because people feel so personally connected to these these issues that their diagnosis becomes their identity, or they they latch onto this that oh i i have this or i've self-diagnosed or whatever the case may be that it is a part of who i am that therefore i must defend and speak on behalf of all those similarly situated with fervor and passion and i'm not going to tell anybody not to care about things or not to you know take comments about something that you care about um, and, you know, without thought or, or without response, but be mindful of that statement that you're making, be mindful of what it is that you're talking about and what are you hoping to accomplish? Are you talking just to 
hear yourself speak or are you talking because you're trying to engage in a legitimate conversation? I think that's something that is frankly ignored a lot in modern discourse. But what you're mentioning there is when someone either gets um, really diagnosed or officially diagnosed or kind of how self-diagnose themselves, they, they can kind of take it upon themselves to have that identity, but also it makes them an expert on their pathology, not everyone else with that pathology. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the nuance that a lot of people may miss. Someone's ADHD may not be everyone else's ADHD. Yeah, I mean, I think where I, I feel like I'm playing devil's advocate, but where I always like to put a grain of salt with that is I think, I know I when I experience as a clinician is that sometimes people find so much relief from getting a diagnosis and things making sense and finding something that feels like the answer that they can't help but like spread that around or like, or like try to give that feeling to other people. And so I think that's also part of it too, is I think sometimes by the time people get to therapy or figure out what might be going on with them, they feel so, I mean, it's like when people find religion sometimes and they're like, this made me feel so good. Like I want to throw it in everybody's face. Mm -hmm. And so I think that can be part of it. And I too, what you're talking about as well is that, um, that there is a lot of nuance. And I think that's what gets missed too. Like when people, cause I think in, um, America, which is all I can speak to, we see a lot of things still through the medical model of like this, these symptoms, a equals this diagnosis B, which equals this treatment C, which equals this prognosis B for six to eight weeks. And then you'll be healed or good or whatever. And so I think we still apply that a lot to mental health. And I do have to, I have to explain that a lot in sessions I have with clients. Um, And so I think also because we think through the medical model, there can be a lot of what you're talking about, which is like one size fits all of, so this is what I did and this worked for me. And so this must work for everybody who has ADHD or everybody who has like severe dysregulation and not really understanding that there's so much nuance in psychology. And there's so much like, I always make the joke with my clients that I teach you a bunch of stuff because it's like throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. I'll teach you a dozen coping skills and you'll like three. And those will be the three that you use over and over and over again. And so it it does, it's just not applying a more holistic mindset or more like mental health mindset to mental health issues and diagnoses. And instead putting that medical model that I don't think we're very cognizant that we do onto mental health. That's why like, also, I think people think that they can like self-diagnose too. And that's the WebMD kind of mindset. It's also why my mom, I love her, but my mom said, why do you need to go to therapy? You're a therapist. Don't you know what to do? And I'm like, it's very, it's not like I'm a doctor and I can, and I can like know what's going on and give myself an antibiotic. Like there's much more nuance to that, but I think that does get missed. Yeah. But okay. I'll, I'll jump in on that. I mean, physician heal thyself. Doctors really shouldn't be <laughs> treating true. themselves in any capacity. Yeah. I've stood by that for the longest time professionally, and and the colleagues that I respect agree with that. With regards to the medical model, I totally understand that point, and it's true because, well, that's exactly how I was trained. But I even now, I definitely respect that there is no way that I'm going to be able to fit 
all of these various shaped pegs into this one square hole or whatever. I get mm-hmm. it. And, and I, I don't even try. The thing that I think is happening, though, when someone I'm talking about self-diagnose, when someone self-diagnoses, often it seems to put off the work. In other words, I the person has come to me saying, I have an answer and I'm just looking for you as the conduit to just follow through with what I've already done. And unfortunately, I can't take that shortcut. I still have to get to know you. I still need mm-hmm. to know everything about your situation that's pertinent to your your circumstance. I still need to know what the social factors are. I want to know what the biological factors are. I want to know the family dynamics. I want to know all of that stuff before I just go ahead and, and <clears throat> excuse me, rubber stamp what it is that you're telling me. And also, heaven forbid, I may not agree with the conclusion that you've come to because I have a different perspective based on seeing many different people with many different different presentations. Mm -hmm. And so I can apply that in a much broader range than that one person has applied to themselves. And sometimes that creates a, that creates a barrier that I have difficulty breaking through because either this person is viewing me as someone that is antagonizing them, which clearly is never my goal or someone that is, uh, uh, actively sabotaging them because they're saying, I already did this. Why are you trying to undo what I've done? And that's that circumstance when it comes up, especially heaven forbid, I actually talk about medication with the person about something that I think is very relevant to what they're saying um, or the severity of what they're saying. uh, Then it it, it creates a dynamic where I can't establish rapport at all. And and so I I love when people are motivated to find out more about themselves. That is amazing. That is wonderful. I love the opportunities that uh, social media can present in terms of, you know, being exposed to different ideas that they may not have thought of ahead of meeting someone like me. That is absolutely fantastic. I have X diagnosis. Do something about it. Uh, That's the step that's a little too far for me. Yeah, well, that's then, hard. I, oh. I was like uh, when I have since I I'm a trauma specialist now and have worked really hard to be that and when I see sometimes like the power in people telling their trauma stories through TikTok and the therapies that they have found there is one somebody sent me on EMDR where a guy he breaks it down in 30 seconds talking about like the power of having this shameful memory of being picked on as a kid at a talent show and giving the middle finger to the crowd. And that that was a moment that he beat himself up over because he got shamed by his parents and then shamed by the school and carried that as I am shameful for years until EMDR helped him unlock that. And he said, I look at that kid now and I'm proud of that kid for standing up in front of that crowd and sticking that middle finger up and taking that shot and saying, fuck you don't pick on me. And that changed my perspective on life and having people find that and understand, wow, there's something that can make me feel like that is awesome. But when people say, uh, you know, I kind of like, even though my lovely hosts want to shame me for being an old man and talking about Jeff Foxworthy, (laughs) that's okay. I love you both anyway. But like basically people going, if you're sad and have a hard time, sometimes you might have dysthymic disorder. Like, like that's not a thing. Like if you're sad, sometimes you're a human being who is sad. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean you have a diagnosis. You might, but bringing that into 
a meeting with a professional, the pre uh, preconceived notion, unwilling to listen to anything, a professional who can understand the nuance of the diagnosis process and help you understand, uh, no, it's not actually that it might be X, Y, or Z other things, but let's work on that. And rejecting that professional help and training just because you came in with a preconceived notion based on a video you saw for 50 seconds that explained your whole life. That's like, I think where I also have a problem, Doc, is it's the same. Yeah, you were saying it's kind of the difference between feeling depressed and suffering from depression. Right. And one thing I, I work a lot with clients and that I, I kind of often mention is the iceberg example. Most clients that will come into my office will come in with that tip of the iceberg, that explosion or event of this is what's going on. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll deal with that. But oftentimes the core of the issues are, are not the tip of the iceberg. It's everything that's underneath. And I think that is one thing that TikTok might be lacking is that critical insight that you can only really gain within therapy of the entirety of the iceberg, not just what is above the water. Very well said. Very well said. So um, I, I'm i going to uh, jump in here a little bit and talk about, as I said, from from my perspective and some of the things that I've noticed, uh, you know, as, as the non-professional and as someone who is, um, as, as I said earlier, uh, commented on and not necessarily sought out, but definitely identified with some things. Um, and I've spoken about this on, on our show as well. Um, I, I was in therapy for, um, for several months and I had, I had a, a good therapist. I'm not, I won't go quite so far as to say a great therapist because there was still just some barrier. It was, it was good and I definitely needed it, but I felt like there was something missing. And so early on, it was after maybe two or three sessions, she had said, I'm diagnosing you with generalized anxiety disorder um, because I feel that that's, that's a large part of your presentation. And so I said, well, one of the other things that I've been, I guess, mulling over um, to, to everybody's point in terms of self-diagnosis is I said, you know, ADHD is something that I feel, you know, I, I kind of present with and, and looking back on my life over the past, you know, at this point, almost 40 years, um, I feel that there's a lot there to unpack. And she's like, you're, you're close, but I don't know that I would say you're all the way there. Um, because and I don't recall the, the reasons, but I think from my perspective, one of the reasons why we didn't get into the ADHD as much is because when I went to her, the primary thing that I was dealing with was anxiety. And so the, the presentation that I was giving to her was, I've got all this stuff going on that's weighing on me. This is kind of what I need to address. Um, and I think it was, it was Doc, one of the, the shows a couple episodes ago, we were saying that, you know, you only get a handful of sessions because of the, the current, you know, health insurance system and everything in, in America. So you have to ration out, what do I present to my therapist as the foremost thing that I want to address? And so at that time, I was presenting largely a lot of the stuff, the, the, the crux of my conversation with her was about 
the anxiety that I was undergoing. But she, so she's like, you're close with the ADHD, but she goes, I don't know that I would necessarily give you the full-blown diagnosis. She goes, although I certainly understand where you could see that. But the more I, I sort of, you know, talked about it with other people and, and yes, you know, uh, in, in speaking with doc and, and in speaking with, you know, other, other professionals, um, it's, it's a combination and then going to a, an actual medical doctor, um, and, and explaining, you know, the, the situations and stuff. I was like, I, I believe that I, I do present ADHD because of the way in which my brain works on a, on a consistent basis. And so I've now, um, I've been on Adderall now for a couple of months and I have found it has been wondrous. And again, I'm just, I'm going to put this out there as, as you know, um, not that it necessarily needs to be stated, but this is my personal stuff. I'm not speaking for anybody else. I do not want to, I just want to make that perfectly clear. You know, I've been on Adderall and it has done uh, wonders. I, I was on the XR, but it was messing up my sleep a little too much. So I switched over to the, um, you know, to, to non-extended release. Um, but it has done wonders for my life. And it's a situation where, frankly, I think this show, uh, you know, doing capes on the couch has opened up my, my mind and, and ex, uh, exposed me to a lot of conversations that I wouldn't have otherwise normally had. Um, and then I don't look out for, I don't specifically seek out these things online, but I see a lot of comments, uh, on Instagram. Again, I'm, I'm not on TikTok, so it's mostly, and I'm not on Facebook. So it's, it's primarily Instagram and a little bit of Twitter for me about ADHD. But when I read it, what I'm, I take away from it is not, oh, this means I have ADHD or, or this is so me it's okay. These things are how this person presents with ADHD and therefore I can identify with it. Or if they're saying this is ADHD and this is their presentation of it, I go, okay, I wonder, you know, just sort of thinking out loud, like, I wonder if this person, uh, what else are they experiencing that led, that has led them to, to think this or so on. Um, so I try and I guess intellectualize it to a certain extent, um, but again, the, the prevalence of these, these memes, so to speak, and, and these mimetic posts um, should not be taken as a self-diagnosis um, or, or a shortcut for diagnosis. So when I, at least for me, when I share these things or when I see these things, it's not, oh, this, you know, I'm speaking on behalf of everybody with ADHD. It's this very specific thing, this, this one particular comment that this person shares is something that I can personally identify with. And it helps me feel not alone. You know, that I feel like there, there was finally this, I don't want to say this label, but just this understanding and this appreciation for it. And I think from, from the perspective of, of the people that are sharing these things, that's what we want. We just want, we're, we're looking for a place to belong. We're looking for and understanding whether that comes through the, the formal diagnosis or whether that comes through something, perhaps just you're having discussions with other people. It's this notion that, you know, that what I'm undergoing is not solely uh, my, my situation, that there are others out there with that. And so 
you know, that's, it's a long ramble and I, I apologize for sort of, you know, monopolizing the last several minutes, but, but I think that that speaks to just the, the human nature of all of us to want to seek commonality with these certain things. And then if I'm suffering, it, it may not help alleviate the situation entirely, but it helps soothe a little bit to know that I'm not alone and that there, there are other folks out there similarly, uh, you know, struggling or, or going through these sorts of things. So I'll, you know, yeah. I'll end it there and I'll sort of let you all, you know, talk about how what I've done was horrible. Okay. No, no blame there. I'm just, uh, I'll let everybody else talk. I'm just going to say, you know, in case anybody in, in the podcast universe is wondering, no, I did not treat Anthony and no, I did not make <laughs> yeah, the that, diagnosis. Nope, I nope. didn't write a prescription. I didn't do any of it. Okay. So that was not my involvement. He's my, he's my brother. He's my, he's my best friend. And, and once again, ethical boundaries, I, you know, so I didn't do anything with that, but I love the fact that you did mention, uh, because I know sometimes I, I sound so cynical about everything and I'll repeat myself again, scratch a cynic and you'll realize they're just a wounded idealist. Uh, I love the sense of community that can be found via social media based on common themes. I think it can be a very uplifting point, uh, especially when it comes to, to mental health. I mean, that having said that, that's been existing outside of social media as well. I mean, in, in, in the U.S., uh, you know, I'm just thinking of NAMI as a, as a great example of, you know, people that have been advocating for, for uh, you know, those with, with mental health concerns at large for decades decades. So, uh, you know, I, I'm grateful that it exists and I'm grateful that that reach is just going to get stronger and stronger. I, I, I consider that to be a, a magnificent um, opportunity for people to embrace things that, you know, are not ideal and creating the niches of the ability to talk about topics that maybe they wouldn't be able to talk about with other people or giving the opportunity for people that never have been exposed to a topic to talk about it for the first time either way. So I, I think you, you made an excellent, excellent point with that. Uh, I will say that there is a semi dangerous rabbit hole with that. And, and I will say this only because um, I may or may not have anonymously tried to seek these things out just for my own education where Anthony, you mentioned the medication. That's fine. I have nothing against the medication itself. I will say that going down some online rabbit holes where people say, Oh, that worked for you. Where can I get that? Uh, you know, besides going to the doctor or, Hey, my mother-in-law takes such and such. And I, you know, I think it would really help for me. How do I convince my doctor to give it to me? You know, like there, there are so many alternative, uh, opportunities for mismanagement that, I just want to give that caveat. And I think overall, I do think it's a positive thing, like you said, and and there are just these underlying concerns that without, uh, without knowledgeable consideration and collaboration with either professionals or people with just good ethics, uh, it can, it can really lead to some strange places. And it can lead to damaging places. And I'll, you know, I, we don't have time for me to tell my whole story here, but you know, the <laughs> speaking as a person that this has happened to before, you know, the internet really became much of a thing when it was, you know, uh, disbarred or not disbarred. That's the wrong word. Uh, sorry, Anthony. <laughs> it's uh, whatever. Uh, doc, you have to help me. I don't remember what the doctors who lose their medical license and then write books so about 
Oh, I mean, I'm not going to name names. I, I, I'll be honest. I forgot the term myself. Like, I don't know if there's actually like you, you're like you'd be either suspended or revoked. I mean, right. Either. Like re- people, people who have left the medical field or had right. their licenses revoked or whatever, but then right. write books. And like, uh, for me, like as a child getting diagnosed with something and then taking medicine that ultimately, you know, like I, I'm pretty sure that doctors were steered in a mm-hmm. direction by that kind of information that resulted mm-hmm. in me having damaged kidneys uh, oh, for something then, I don't have. I was going to yeah. say, I can, I can almost guarantee you, I know what it was, what medication it was like, mm-hmm. that's a real obvious answer. I'm not going to go into it. Okay. It's your, it's your story. It's just, that's horrible. I'm so sorry. I mean, I appreciate that, but I think that for me is why, like, you know, Anthony, your story and, and doc, I appreciate you is that like that. Mm-hmm is so important that we understand that you don't walk in with this preconceived notion of something you read somewhere or heard TikToks about in, in today's world, and then convince yourself and argue so much that you come in with a pre-armed, pre-loaded set of symptoms that you are convinced is that thing. Cause like Anthony's story, you know, like anxiety and ADHD present a shit ton like each other. They really do. Inattentiveness from anxiety presents a lot like each other. And people who have ADHD and depression can look a sure shit of a lot like bipolar disorder. And like it can be really difficult to see the nuances between. And if you convince yourself that you know that that's what it is and create the argument for it, you know, like professionals can be swayed by arguments that go like, yeah, that does sound like that. And that can result in inappropriate treatment. And it is important that we walk in as an informed consumer of medical and mental health services, but also not to the point that we're going to railroad the process and color the picture that's being presented to the professional inappropriately, because it is hard for us to see beyond what parents and people and partners tell us that we, they see in their loved one. And we only see them in a limited capacity. So it, I think it's really important to recognize that we can do better of coming in informed, but not trying to dictate, no, this is my diagnosis. This is what I have, because it may not be true. And that could result in inappropriate treatment that is ineffective and causes a lot of frustration for years. And I think, you know, like hearing Anthony, hearing your story and having one similar to it myself, but different is it resonates with that and why I get so upset when I see people, you know, like I'm going to stick with my Jeff Foxworthy term here, but just like that, like if you have this and this, then you're definitely a narcissistic personality person. Like that's not true, at least not and necessarily. With the article that I had shared uh, with, with all of you, there was a, like a separate one because there was a, a client that I had earlier um, uh, in, well, mid to late uh, 2021 where they had presented as someone with DID and the more and more I digged through a lot of things, the more they had talked about how they came up with their own diagnosis, which was seeing like DID TikTok and DID YouTubers where it really colored their pre- the way they were presenting a lot of their symptoms. And it kind of made me go down the rabbit hole of DID TikTok and DID YouTube. And this 
there is this whole subculture within DID on these platforms that one, it's good to present information regarding this diagnosis, but two, is very harmful to the individuals that really have this diagnosis. Where a lot of the people that are not, that are presenting as don't necessarily mean a lot of the criteria. And it creates a lot of confusion, certainly now in in COVID, and certainly with a lot of people that are watching these videos, which are early teens, late teens that are searching for an identity, then it colors things considerably. One of the things that really caught me off guard was learning about fictives and factives which is something that I had never heard about. It's nothing that I had ever been taught. So a fictive is a alter that is a actual fictional character. And then a factive is an alter that is a actual person, like a actual <laughs> real person, a real celebrity that the person then has an alter of that person. Which yeah, kind of it's there, me there's go down a lot a whole rabbit hole there. It, it is a whole rabbit hole, and like it, it frustrates me a lot when I see people like interacting on the internet. Is like the conversations that different alters have, and that people who do that because they think it might be fun to audition different parts of their personality and write as them and have acting exercises. I, I think when I see things like that, it's really, it's challenging for the, the way it minimizes a very serious and very challenging diagnosis into something that can like, this might be fun to try. Let's see what this part of me says. What's that? And I, it, it's, it's really hard to see that with people and not immediately engage and start challenging it back and like going, okay, but do you really have DID or do you think this is a fun game? Go ahead, go ahead, Brittany. I see you're raising your hand. Well, I was just saying off topic, Hannah and I unfortunately have to depart um, because we have uh, plans, <laughs> but it was um, enjoyable during this conversation. One thing I want to say, this is off topic because I know I'm, I'm trying to, we're going out, but um, is I'm a, my expertise is in child therapy. And I will say there can be a, as we get older, there can be this um, delight sort of in hating on the newest form of social media or the newest thing kids are into. And one thing that I really took from my training and my advisor, who was, you know, a few generations older than me, was that you always have to know what is popular and you have to respect it and you have to invest, you have to like be engaged with it. And so part of why I got TikTok is because all of my teenage clients had TikTok and even younger clients. And so I think we can we can make fun of these newer medias, but I think we have to we have to get involved with them if you're going to work with kids especially, but I think now TikTok's like everybody. And so it's like it is good as professionals to get engaged with the things that everybody's engaged with so that you also know what they're talking about and also it can help build rapport. I'll tell you the way that 
teenagers look at me when they make some sort of joke that they think I don't get. And then they don't know that I am so on TikTok. And they're like, oh, oh, oh you you know that, <laughs> Brittany? And I'm like, oh, you better believe it. So I'm and, hit that with can, it. That can oh, create God. a shared dialogue as well. <laughs> and also, I think going back to the teenage thing, I love teenagers. I work so much with teenagers is that. But this is something adults do as well which is that I think the over-identifying is a way to over-intellectualize and over-analyze our mental health so we don't have to feel our mental health and actually be vulnerable with our mental health. And so whenever I have a client who has become a little therapist of their own, part of that is a defense mechanism to not really get down and dirty and open and vulnerable with what's going on for you. And you're over and by over-analyzing your symptoms, over pathologizing. It's actually a way to be guarded. And it's a, it's a, it's a slick way to be guarded because you sound like you're really in it and you're really into mental health and you know, what's going on and you are, you're all over it. But really that in and of itself is a way to protect yourself and to defend against being more vulnerable. So something I'm coming across more with this more access to information is having to cut through that sometimes with clients of like, I get it, you know, all the right terms, you know, all the terminology, you you got the facts and the figures, but are you actually like sitting in your sadness Mm -hmm. and just being there? Are you able to really like be introspective about your thoughts? Are you, are you noticing them? Are you naming them? And so I think that's also, but like I said, adults I work with will do that too. We love to be in our quote unquote logical, rational mind and vilify our emotional mind. And so I think this excess information does that as well. And also like, I mean, TikTok is just the newest version of this, you know, Dr. Phil, Facebook. Like, I think this is just TikTok is the younger generation's version of Dr. Phil and Facebook and Marjorie down the street. Who's like, you know what that is? You know, I heard about that. You know, it's like, you know, Phil got the agitator. You should get that. And so I want us to be cautious about how much we vilify newer media because it's for young people. And that doesn't mean that there isn't worthwhileness or that we can't find the boomer version, which is when I go on Facebook and someone's trying to sell me essential oils to cure depression. <laughs> like, without seeing anybody else like that in the self cure depression, or if you get like, you know, buy my candles, like there's versions of this snake oil shit everywhere. And that's a little bit more nefarious because they're trying to actually get my dollar bills out of my hands. And TikTok is just trying to take up my time and my energy, sometimes dollars as well, but mostly my time and my energy and maybe my common sense sometimes, but you know, so anyway, thanks for having me. I got to bounce off. Um, but I've been a pleasure talking to you all. Absolutely. Well, well, thank you, Brittany. And, and thank you, Hannah, as well. Uh, lovely seeing you ladies. Um, and uh, I guess, you know, we don't really have too much more, I would think, to, uh, to add. We've already been going on uh, for, you know, close to an hour and a half at this point. Um, and now that it's a sausage fest, I don't really <laughs> know Aww. what else, um, you know, what else we could add. I'll just uh, add, I'll just add, you know, why, why Brittany gotta, gotta, you know, put me on blast like that. Like, damn, I, I didn't realize I was that bad. Oh my God. Oh, am I, am I projecting that? Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Right. But what you're right. saying, it, it, it harkens to a point where we shouldn't vilify new media because there's always something that's going to be. Um, coming forward and as mental health professionals we kind of have to keep up with kind of these changes 
But I think we also need to be on that forefront. And I think that's one thing that a lot of mental health professionals have, have a hard time with is being on that forefront because we're so used to being in the background. I think, I mean, and we've all done that. We all did that with podcasts. Let's be honest. We all did exactly that thing. And like, I don't have problems with TikTok. And I think Brittany's point is important that we preach the same caution with that, that we preach with anything else. Just recognize that it's brain crack and that it is designed to hook you in and keep your attention and be just enough that it grabs you and sticks with you and then sends you onto something else that does the same thing over and over and over, which is psychologically addictive and recognizing that preaching the same and with an algorithmic nature to it, that it goes, ah, you watched that whole thing. Good. We'll show you more like that. You must've liked it. So it, it learns you and then it learns what you like and that creates bias. And we need to be able to watch for that because doing research where I'm going to read this book and then I'm going to read this book and then I'm going to read this book, or I'm going to read this journal that has countering opinions just listed in it is something that is missing from modern social media and modern rational thought is most people have not had to take a research methods class where you learn to look at who is saying it, who is saying against it, what methods did they use? What math are they using to prove it? How many what subjects did they test they this have? on? Yep. Right. What bias did they declare that they have? Who's paid for the study? Yep. All those kinds of things are things yep. that do not happen with social media or news media uh, or news entertainment, you know, as the FCC has classified things uh, that people do not apply logic. And those things are not regulated by the same academic rigor that actual news or academic journals or things like that or professionals are regulated by that you have to have facts to back up what you're saying. And TikTok and social media don't have that. Because there there are a lot of TikTok creators that I really do enjoy and love and have actually mentioned to clients because they're licensed mental health professionals. They put out great mm-hmm. content, which I feel that clients could really benefit from. But these are people that I've have watched a, a lot of their videos, kind of researched who they are, kind of back they they back up what they claim, and they are experts in that field. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I I mean I uh, it's it's a little frustrating because uh, I'll use the older examples so. Mind you, I'm probably the least qualified person to talk about any of this because I'm just not a social media person at this point. But, uh, you know, on Twitter, I do have, you know, journals that I follow. I I have certain sources that I follow. And yet when I look at their feeds, I'm like, oh, no wonder nobody looks at these. I don't expect them to be the bastions of entertainment. But even just the idea of engagement, what I think has happened from an academic rigor standpoint is that to follow the stereotype, people are locked in the ivory tower. The idea that this information is not accessible and not pushed forward in a way that is going to allow for the rest of us who are willing to be a much better, you know, for, you know, storefront for all of this. It, it does create 
a situation of the haves and have nots. And when I say haves, I'm talking about the people that have the professionalism, have the knowledge, have the ability to, you know, cultivate the things that we see and, and do the proper due diligence and present it to people in a way that's going to be helpful. Until that gap gets a bit better, I'm not sure we're going to make nearly as much headway as we could. And I'm not putting that on anybody else. I'm saying that about ourselves. Uh, I'm talking about my American Psychiatric Association. I'm, ta- you know, I'm, I'm talking about organizations that will, you know, put like these headers of how important mental health is, and yet when we have local meetups for things or or they're advertised and I'm advertised as the speaker or something locally and I try and ask them to promote it. It's like, yeah, but you know, we don't have anybody available. Like, are you, are you kidding me? That's, that's literally the example that we need for people to, uh, to explain that we are just as viable as any of the people that are social media influencers. And we can do just as much good if we, you know, if we get the chance and yet it's kind of lacking in the time. Yeah. Because like you were saying it's kind of locked in that ivory tower and extremely bland. <laughs> and the information is also criticized by people who in the ivory tower sit in the darkest deepest room in the basement on hot chairs with iron spikes drinking coffee all day with no bathrooms anywhere near them. So like there's it's so bland and critical and angry that it's not even accessible and then they want to charge you 150 dollars a month to read it yeah yeah it, it's it's really a shame and actually i'll i'll just give a brief example of this so i'm i'm a member of the black caucus for the american psychiatric association and someone mentioned uh having a panel on black panther now anybody that knows me at this point I'm all about it. I'm like, this is great. Meanwhile, I don't want to promote ageism here, but one of the older members just said, like, to to quote him, he's like, I'm sick of this shit. You guys need to grow up. I'm, like, it's that that's painful. That was that was legitimately painful because I felt like, and this person was in a position of power, and I I felt like. You just took one of the best opportunities we have to connect with a massive audience, which we, of course, on this, you know, on this video chat, know, and 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 you just flushed it down the toilet. That is it's that- the entirety of the geek therapy movement. Yeah. yeah, that's why that's what we do. That's what Popcorn Psych does. That's that's what your show does. That's what we all do. That's we're the mental health Avengers, for God's sakes, like. That's it. There's so much of it. That's Dr. Scarlet and, and superhero therapy. As you said, the, the whole geek therapy. Yeah. Geek therapy, I, geek therapeutics. Yeah. They're, they're clinicians that, and I'm doing the training now to, to become uh, certified in it where you are learning these ways to intervene and bring characters for people to relate with that speaks to them and again being a white cisgendered male i can't speak to how someone in the black community can really gravitate towards a character like black panther and how important that character in that movie was for an entire 
generation of people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my point even wasn't even necessarily to, to be that granular with it, but just to let the audience that's listening to this know that it is fair to say that not everybody is going to understand how we're trying to get the message across and how we're trying to, you know, eliminate the stigma. We're doing the best we can. uh, And I know that the other professionals that I work with that may not understand in totality what our podcasts are about and and everything else, they want to help too, but they don't know how. Mm. And I, what I'm talking about now is not just the chasm of new technology. I'm talking about just the chasm of engagement. And that is something that I think the current mediums are doing better than ever before. The, the level of engagement that you can have with anybody about any topic is now exploded. You, you're, you're not getting the toothpaste back in the tube. So if someone wants to go down whatever rabbit hole they want to on their phone or on their tablet or on their computer, whatever, they can do it. And like it or not, they're going to come armed when they see you. And I love to have it as as a cordial civil engagement back and forth and having relational topics that are going to allow us to expand upon the things that are relevant to that person rather than have what I think we need to guard against the stuffy idea that the way that I was doing this is now the way it's going to continue to be for the rest of my career. That is the danger that I see as technology progresses where each generation just gets so stuck in their ways that now we're going to have to ration out who sees who because, you know, the the older docs aren't going to want to see the the teenagers, not because they're not child or adolescent therapists, but because they simply can't understand the language anymore. Mm. That's the fear that I have with this. It's not whether or not it's it's going to do damage in the long run. It's here, whatever it is, whatever the effect is, it's going to be here. But I, I'm wondering if there is a way that we can make sure the zeitgeist always continues to update for the people that still want to put in the effort. I know that the people on this call, I know we're going to do that. That's how we are. I I see that. I I hear it. Uh, But I I do worry for some of my colleagues that aren't quite there. You know, I I really wanted to put that out there because I wanted to know other people's thoughts about that. I think there's a, a Hebrew proverb that I've learned that I share with clients all the time. Uh, I am not Jewish, so learning Hebrew Proverbs is not something I've had the opportunity to do often, except when I uh, go into Wikipedia holds like Anthony. But the proverb that I, I saw that really resonated with me is, don't confine your children to your own learning. They are of a different time. And remembering that we as therapists are going to encounter clients of a different time, and we have to, like Brittany aptly said, we have to stay in touch with the ways that they are staying in touch and interacting with information in the world and helping to provide guidance to it of going, here's how you, you know, suss out for yourself what is good information and what's bullshit. But recognize that, you know, even with us and why we all have our own shows and our shows have our different flavor and our movements have slightly different flavor from each other, but why we bond together is because sometimes Someone can hear the same message from 10 different voices, but the one they needed to hear it from was yours. And And being okay with having clients teach you things. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody knows at all. Nobody. And nobody can get through to everybody. And that's okay. And it's okay for clients to seek out information. It's just important that, you know, as we keep, we all keep a mind on understanding that it is important to consider what source is speaking and to take what they say with a grain of salt, that even people who aren't trained mental health professionals can provide valuable information on a mental health experience, but recognizing that it is one experience and not something that is representative is an important distinction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think, um, I think we could obviously go on and on about this for another hour and a half, but um, I think this is as good a place as any to um, wrap it up, especially since Brittany and Hannah left us 15, 20 minutes ago. (laughs) We're still here. Um, So I will just, uh, I guess we'll start off with, uh, you know, first thank you to everybody uh, for joining us. Thank you to Hannah and Brittany. Uh, they had to duck out, but, but thank you. Um, so Ben, as the sole representative left of the show, where can folks find uh, you on the internets? So you can find us anywhere pop, uh, anywhere podcasts are listed at popcorn psychology. You can find us on Facebook at popcorn psychology on TikTok at popcorn psychology. And you can also find us on Twitter at popcorn underscore psych. And then over to Doc, uh, Guardians, et cetera. Go ahead and uh, tell us where folks can find all of your stuff. So everyone can find us all at GuardiansMH. So GuardiansMH.org. We're at GuardiansMH on Twitter, uh, Facebook, and TikTok. We're starting to, to try to post a few more things there. Uh, me personally, uh, people can find me on Twitter at SSJ5Goku28. Uh, and we are Capes on the Couch. We are not on TikTok, although we're coming up on a hiatus since uh, I'm going to be having a, a, a child very shortly. Not me, my wife, but uh, we're going to be having a child very shortly. So we're going to take a short hiatus. And I'm debating whether or not in that interim to to jump on TikTok. I think it's high time because that's just that's where the kids are. That's where the ears and eyes are. And if we want to get out there and get as get our message out there in front of many folks as possible, then by gum, that's where we need to be. Um, but in any case, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Capes on the Couch. And uh, our website is capesonthecouch.com. And you can find us on all major pod catchers except for Spotify. Um, so this is going to do it for Mental Health Avengers number four. And um, thank you very much. Uh, also, go and follow and give it a follow and, and like. Uh, to our fellow Mount the Health Avengers who unfortunately couldn't make it here, uh, Freudian Sips and uh, Pop Psych 101. Uh, you can check them out as well. Um, hopefully we can get them uh, on the next episode. Um, but I think that's going to do it for us tonight, and hopefully it won't be another year and a half before we all get uh, together and, and do this again. So, again, thank you to uh, Dr. Goku, uh, Ben, Hannah, Brittany, uh, and Doc Issues. I'm Anthony Sitko. Thanks for listening, and we will see you soon. <laughs>